uh, founded by uh, Thomas Edison, and we're in the business of uh, electricity, power, renewables, uh, grid transmission, aviation, healthcare, and uh, many businesses, right? And uh, we're a global company. We're historically an industrial company. And in the last several years, we're making the transition to becoming a digital industrial company. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm here. So when you say a digital industrial company, what does that mean? I mean, GE has been around, as you said, for so many years. It's such an old company, does so many things. And I think of light bulbs, I mean, all of this stuff. What does it mean mm -hmm. to be a digital company and what does GE Power do? So uh, I'll use the power as an example. So if you think about power, right, uh, electricity, um, more than a third of the world's electricity comes from GE machines. Wow. And so, and we have several businesses, everything from machines that generate electrons to machines that transmit and distribute electrons to machines that help professional consumption happen in energy intensive industries, right? So we basically, you can say, we do everything from generating electrons to consuming electrons all the way in that value chain. Now we make machines and we make services around those machines for a long time. And now over the last five, you know, we've been doing this almost for more than a decade. We've been doing software. We've been doing software from a controls perspective, meaning software around the machines. But now over the last several years, we've been doing a lot of data science, a lot of analytics, improving the performance of those machines and now taking those machines and their environments and settings. And we talk about this as in the consumer world, we talk about it as internet of things. Now our things happen to be big, important and heavy, like things that power the world, move the world, cure the world. And when you connect all of these machines, there's new value, new revenue, new unlocking of potential for our customers and therefore productivity for our customers. And that means building a software uh, capability. So we've been on the journey of building a software company and we talk about it as a, uh, one of the fastest growing startups inside GE. Last year, uh, we made more than $5 billion in terms of uh, digital uh, revenue. And this year we'll have about $6 billion in terms of digital outcomes for our customers. And think of that as we're gonna be one of the fastest growing software companies in the world where we happen to be within a industrial company. So when you say connecting these machines, can you be concrete about it? Tell us, tell us more specifically about the kinds of machines and what are the, when you say connecting, what does that really mean? So um, let's take an example in our business of generating electricity, like gas turbines or steam turbines or uh, renewable turbines and machines such as that, right? So in a power plant, you have a generator, a boiler, a HERSIG, and pump generators, all kinds of machines. And all of these machines have lots of sensors on them. And the sensors historically have collected data. And they've been put into time series databases that we've had controls. And they've all been siloed for a long time. Now we're connecting all those machines to the cloud, all the way from the edge to the cloud. And when we connect those machines, we can improve the performance of those machines. I'll give you an example. In our wind business, uh, we took our uh, wind turbines and we figured out just from analyzing all of the operating data, we could make them perform better. Individually, drive the performance about 5%. That's driving 5% of more electricity from the same wind. Now when you collect it across an entire wind farm, 
and connect it to our cloud that we call Critics, which is our platform for industrial internet, and our set of applications that we call Asset Performance Management, we can drive over 20% more electricity from the same wind. Now, the same example applied to, say, a gas-fired combined cycle power plant. A single power plant, we have the potential to generate up to 50 to $250 million of value over the life of a single power plant. And many of our customers have hundreds of power plants. And when you connect it across the entire industry, it's massive in terms of savings. That's billions of dollars of productivity and new value to be unlocked from all of these machines. That's everything from reducing the unplanned downtime to doing predictive maintenance, to reducing losses, to improving productivity of employees and business processes around these machines. And when you talk about disruption, mm -hmm. what does that mean in this context? So in this context, for example, right, when we talk about the electricity value chain, that is either your power producer or a utility or a grid operator or energy service provider, that entire value chain is actually changing a lot, right? On one side, you have the uh, fuel mix that's changing the world. Uh, renewables are becoming mainstream in many parts. We've got a boom in shale gas uh, in North America. We've got uh, coal that's still a big source of uh, power. And we just made an acquisition just uh, two days ago, uh, an analytics company in Boston about how do you decarbonize and make coal cleaner? There's a lot of analytics you can go apply. And when you look at this entire value chain, most people would talk about this as the digitization of the electricity value chain. And when you think about that, uh, we've seen numbers like 8% of the electricity that gets generated in the world never reaches a consumer. And if you optimize just a few percent of that, that's like powering whole new nations. And 78% of failures can actually be predicted. And they add up to about 8% of another loss. So there's about 16% of loss that's happening in the electricity value chain that we can actually fix using digital technologies. In fact, the World Economic Forum did an analysis and said across the electricity value chain, just by applying digital, there's about 1.3 trillion dollars of value to be created. And when I look at that, that means new business models are going to be born, right? For our customers, they're going to get disrupted because they are, their core business models are under threat. And you see uh, consumers of electricity becoming producers of electricity, rooftop solar, you know, uh, industrials putting on-site power generation, microgrids, decentralization, all of this is happening. And our, the utilities at the same time have to deal with decarbonization, right? And optimizing the fuel mix. So when they look at that, my goal is that I don't want my customers to be disrupted. I don't want our customers to be Ubered or Airbnb. And that's really the bigger opportunity for a company like GE is we can help our customers reinvent their business models and drive productivity and uh, profitability. So your mission, in a sense, is to help your customers adapt to the, the environment, the competitive environment that they're facing. Is that correct? Absolutely. That, that's uh, the right way to say it. Because our customers are going through the same thing. Everybody is, you know, if you take our customers in, across all the industries, they are becoming a digital business themselves. And when they become a digital business, that means they have to digitize everything from how they work, that they can partner with traditional IT companies. But how their products and services and their core operations work 
is something only a digital industrial company can help them with. And so we want to be our customer strategic partner in their own digital transformation and creating new business models for themselves. What are the, uh, what are some of the challenges that you had to face as you were changing this part of General Electric? I mean, this is a very significant change coming from the traditional power generation space into this new modern world where Internet of Things, connected machines, and data science is crucial to what you're doing. So what are the components of change? So uh, that's a great question. I, I would say, see, I joined uh, GE uh, a little more than two years ago, and I was the uh, first chief digital officer uh, ever in GE. And at that time, we didn't even have a job description of what this means, except we knew that we had to transform ourselves digitally. And I tell people I have uh, two jobs. One is I'm responsible for the digital transformation of our entire business. And power alone is about $32 billion, $30 billion business. It's the largest industrial business in GE. But also getting to work across all of our businesses with GE Digital, which is a unit that we formalized last year, which was the collection and virtual collection of all of the digital businesses in GE, which is how we get to this $5 billion in revenue and why we're able to drive $6 billion of orders because we're going horizontal to go deeper into the vertical. And I would say components of change, step one is, you know, we have to, anybody who drives digital transformation, first is you have to acknowledge that you, gotta, you need believership right at the top. And that believership is, for us, comes right from our chairman. Uh, it's, a, it's a healthy obsession of what we want to do for our customers in terms of productivity, and also a paranoia and optimism about the market. Uh, because somebody else is going to do this and disrupt our customers, so we've got to help them, and we've got to do this for the industries that we're in. And the second is you've got to acknowledge that this journey is different. Your traditional talent is not going to alone make that journey, right? And the uh, interesting thing we've heard other people talk about it is when you drive big transformations like this, your existing talent almost self-selects themselves. So we've got a lot of believers inside who self-selected themselves as they want to be the change agents to drive the digital transformation. And the third is knowing that the businesses that we're trying to create in digital are actually different businesses. The traditional GE businesses, you know, as, as I mentioned, GE is a collection of a lot of big companies. And many of our existing CEOs run a company that's sort of big to bigger, right? The metrics associated with that are very different. It's about you know, revenue delivery, it's about contribution margin, it's about taking cost out, it's improving productivity and delivering quarter after quarter and predictable growth. Whereas digital mirrors more like what we all come to experience in the SaaS world. But SaaS metrics alone don't cut it. You've got to acknowledge that you need new sets of metrics to drive that transformation. So it's adapting those metrics and understanding that digital businesses are about new to big. That means, and the second part of my job is actually running the digital solutions within power as a CEO. So I am structured no different than a traditional CEO of a software company in a full responsibility of driving that business forward. That means we had to bring not just software talent, but we had to bring a lot of digital talent and industrial talent into this team. So it's a mix of both the traditional GE talent as well as people from Silicon Valley and enterprise software companies and consumer software companies to coming together to create this new business. So what are some of the uh, practical 
steps that you took in order to facilitate this transition from a traditional industrial business to a an industrial digital business as a way to put it yeah so um i would say one of the first things i want to touch upon is you got to have the right uh environment and the climate for this change i mentioned our chairman having the believership right at the top and we also had um lots of initiatives in the company that set up the right environment so let me talk about that first right which is we understood that the traditional manufacturing life cycle of multi-year product development, even in the hardware world, is extinct. We have to adapt to new leaner methodologies. So we actually rolled out something called FastWorks. You can actually Google it, and we have lots of FastWorks champions across the company. Basically, it's the movement from the lean startup movement that we all know from Eric Ries, right? Eric, we bought Eric Ries in, and we created this FastWorks and drove that across uh, the entire company. Now it's being used across all of the hardware businesses. So it's almost like the hardware businesses and services businesses now know that we can adapt methodologies and practices from the software world. And the second is making a shift in how we, and for our old company, we changed a lot of things in the last few years. We changed you know, how we talk about our GE values to a new set of things that we call GE beliefs because we are moving from a controls-based company to a risk-based company. So that means driving new beliefs within our employee. It's a culture change for employees. And even compensation. We moved from a really old, a uh, bonus system that's been around for decades at GE to a new compensation model that mirrors more like more software companies and uh, you know, uh, Silicon Valley companies. We also got rid of our performance management system, annual performance management system to a more continuous performance development system. So a lot of those things are the environmental setting uh, for the change. But when it comes to specifics of how we drove this change is even establishing, bringing people like me. And in the last uh, first six uh, quarters that I was in, we established what a digital business in GE is. Now we have chief digital offices across all of the different industries that GE is in because we've ratified the model. We know and we created this uh, GE Digital as a uh, overall company to drive the horizontal, drive the platform. So we change everything from how we sell to go to market, right? How we position the products. And also I'll talk a little bit about how we are innovating on business models. That's a very interesting point. Um, Tell us about what you're doing with business models, but as you do, can you weave in the type of culture change that is required? And how did you manage through that culture change? And can you describe sort of where you are in the the life cycle uh, or the maturity of all of this change? Sure, so I'll take uh, take sales, and I'll probably touch a little bit about the product as well, is See, historically, we've sold hardware. We've had a great sales force that sells uh, some of the biggest, most important hardware, and they sell services around this hardware. And the services transition, uh, and many people inside GE who've been here for a long time tell me that this transition is very similar to a transition the company went through about 15 years ago, from becoming from being a hardware company to a being a hardware and a services company, meaning selling warranties, contracts, and outcomes around the machines that we sell. And that really was the key common thread, which was outcomes, 
we looked at what did we promise our customers? We promised customers not just the machines, but we promised our customers outcomes from those machines. Heat rate, efficiency, output, productivity, fuel reduction, emissions. Now, what if we take those same outcomes and expand it beyond the machines that we provide to the entire environment versus just our turbine? Can we do that across the entire power plant? Can we do that across all their environment? Can we do that across their entire enterprise? Now, that is a transition to solution selling, where you're selling the outcomes. So we had a, uh, we bought an external uh, leader, uh, Kate Johnson, who's our chief commercial officer for digital, uh, who came from Oracle and software world. And she led a sweeping change across the company and educating people about how you do outcome selling, how you do solution selling. So we had thousands of our salespeople trained on solution selling. That doesn't mean they can go sell a digital deal and close a software deal. They are become great door openers. And I just spent uh, uh, the first uh, quarter of this year uh, going across all the world, training about 2,000 salespeople across all of the power industry. It would be dangerous enough to talk one page of all of the software portfolio that we have. That means they open doors. And anytime they are in a conversation, they are opening doors and they have goals and objectives that are aligned with my sales force and my sales forces, they overlay to them and they go and shape deals. And what we've learned in that process over the last year and a half is customers resonate with those outcomes. And also customers resonate with how we are structuring the deals where we share in the value of those outcomes. We promise an outcome. We promise a, a, uh, a value, an economic value, whether it's uh, you know, value associated with increased power output or reduced uh, fuel consumption. All of those adds up to millions of dollars in our environment. And we said, we can share that value with you. And we're almost seeing this evolve from not just selling software as a service, but because we know the deep physics of the machines and we know the operations of our customers, we're calling this outcomes as a service. So we can sell, a, that's a new business model for us where we're combining software, hardware, and our expertise and operations and services doing these outcomes as a service. That's very interesting. Um, what an enormous shift that is, because in the past you sold an item, a machine, mm -hmm. and your job then essentially was done. Now, of course, you had sales, you, you had a yeah. post-sales service and that relationship, but now the machine is a step along the way to the ultimate goal, which is the customer getting some type of economic value, economic benefit. So maybe talk about some of the practical implications. What does this imply for, again, how you, uh, what you had to do, the mechanics, the operations inside GE, as well as the relationship with, with, with the customer? It's, it's so different. It is. It is very different. And, um, and this actually has opened our addressable market. Right, and I can tell you um, just in our business. So we've had um, last year we uh, did an acquisition called uh, Alstom. Uh, it's the largest acquisition in GE history. Uh, combined with Alstom is how you know more than a third of the world's electricity comes from our machines. And Alstom also has given us footprint into other uh, categories of power generation and a larger install base. So if I look at it, step one was, you know, when we were doing our, uh, you know, earlier on, our hardware business was about our hardware 
and our services business was services around our hardware. With Alstom coming in, we have now opened our addressable market to be about all the hardware. So even the services business has expanded is addressable market because of this new kind of a vision because our customers are asking us about outcomes at the enterprise level. And to truly deliver those outcomes at the enterprise level, you have to be agnostic from the machines. Yes, we make the best machines in the world and they are the most connected and they are the most uh, you know, uh, smart machines or the intelligent machines that connect or improve with analytics and continually learn from our cloud. But it's also about delivering outcomes across the entire landscape. So to me, from a digital business, I'm somewhat agnostic of the machines that our customers have because we have machines across our competitors connecting to our cloud because our customers want outcomes that are delivered across the entire enterprise. Everybody, you're listening to Ganesh Bell, who is the Chief Digital Officer of GE Power. And we have a tweet chat going on right now on Twitter with the hashtag CXOTalk. Ganesh, we have a question from Arsalan Khan, who's wondering about the Chief Digital Officer role. So does it matter? Where does the Chief Digital Officer role report to? And does this matter? Why is, why is that important, where, where, it imports, where, where it reports to? And tell us more about that CDO role. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've, we've seen the evolution of this. Um, even, you know, personally, uh, you know, you've seen this like in uh, media companies with chief digital officers because people came up through marketing. That was the first thing people uh, uh, automated or digitized, if you will. And uh, I think CDOs in media companies are very different than CDOs in non-media companies or software companies. So I didn't think of it something very simple, which is we all come to work to create products and services that we market, sell, and engage with our customers. How we work has to become digital. Our products and services have to become digital. How we market, sell, and engage with our customers have to become digital. And when you look at that, for most businesses, that means way beyond digital marketing. So if, if you're a CDO and you're doing digital marketing, that is not digital transformation. You have to look at the entire business model. Ultimately, it's about reinventing your business model and looking at data as a strategic asset and looking at all of the assets that you have. We are in asset-centric industries in GE. So just to give you an idea, I report to the uh, CEO of uh, GE Power and uh, my peers are all CEOs of the various hardware and services businesses. So we have six lines of businesses. Like I mentioned, uh, the five CEOs who run everything from gas power systems to power services to nuclear, and I run uh, digital as a business and a CEO of the digital business. Um, so I do think it matters because um, it is about what you're trying to do. If the chief digital officer reports to the CMO, then it's really about digital marketing. That's really not digital transformation of a whole business. It's just a transformation of marketing. You need that. That's important. Uh, that's the first step in your experience. But if you're thinking about reimagining, transforming your business, you need believership at the top. And I believe this reports to the CEO. And in some companies, we've seen CDOs go on to become CEOs, just like I'm the CEO of the digital business. Now, what about your relationship to the CIO? This is clearly you're, you're in a business role, but this involves technology. And at GE Power, your CIO is the great Clay Johnson, who used to be at Boeing. So what's the connection then or the interrelationship between CIO 
and CDO. And if you want to talk in CMO as well, that's fine too. Yeah, so uh, I'll say, uh, so uh, Clay and I work very closely together. Uh, in fact, at GE, when we set up GE Digital, GE Digital is a collection of all of the IT and the software businesses because we acknowledge that we have to, in fact, our digital journey started with doing it first for ourselves, right? We started collecting data, analyzing data, operational data to build better machines, and we understood we can deliver outcomes on top of that. That really started as an IT journey, right? And doing it for ourselves gave us deep domain knowledge, deep insight into what we have to build as products for our customers. Then we did the same thing for the entire industries that we're in. So with Clay, my partnership is very simple. I talked about how we work has to become digital. That's Clay's responsibility. I work with Clay in the strategy, but Clay owns and executes on how our entire work environment, how we do manufacturing becomes digital. So he calls it the digital thread of how we work. Everything from manufacturing to sourcing to all of our IT systems to a modern collaborative mobile workforce that we have is Clay's responsibility. When it comes to digital solutions, I own that and I'm the CEO of it. Clay provides me the infrastructure for those uh, environments. So our DevOps environment sits on our environment and our cloud. And also he's a partner to me in how we market, sell, and engage because Clay's team creates the infrastructure on top of which we have our digital engagement platform and how we connect with our customers. So it's a clear partnership. And the easiest way to think about it is digitizing internally, digitizing how we work is Clay's responsibility, digitizing our customers and our products and solutions is my responsibility. And where do these things overlap? I mean, I mean, there have to be, I mean, clearly it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a distinction, but there need to be overlaps as well. Or yes. Mm -hmm. So the overlap starts with, uh, for example, we have something called monitoring and diagnostic centers, right? We connect and they, they've been operational for more than a decade where machines from all over the world connect to us and we provide this monitoring and diagnostic uh, capabilities for all of our machines to our customers. And IT provides the environment where they sit. But one of the key things that we are partnering is this notion of data. Um, we have um, you know, lots of data from both our machines and from our internal operations. So the overlap is we're lo both looking at data as a strategic asset. It's the same data pool or the data lake as we think about it. But the use cases that I look at it versus what Clay looks at it is different, but it's fundamentally the same data. And we together treat it as a strategic asset. In fact, we're gonna be staffing a role for that uh, across us as a chief data officer or thinking about it in terms of how you look at data as a strategic asset. So how do you look at data as a strategic asset? So it, it's a combination of all, you know, internal data, combination of our customers' machine data, combination of our manufacturing data, combination of even external data. For our customers, that means, you know, weather data. Uh, it means uh, energy market pricing data. Uh, it means benchmarking data, synthetic data. It means the theoretical limit of what our machine was designed to do. We call that, for example, a digital twin. When we design a machine, we know the optimal performance of that machine that we designed to. And we can also figure out what is the right performance of that machine in that right environment and setting. And we can actually now compare our customer's performance to that ideal digital twin. 
So there are so many use cases from that that we can drive to our customers in driving productivity. And at the same time, Clay can use that to drive internal productivity and how we drive our services business, how we're closing our books to how we're manufacturing, how we can do parts inventory optimization, how we can do supply chain optimization. So looking at all of those use cases as a continuous connected thread requires you to look at the entire sphere of data. And we also look at analytics, for example, that go across all of this data. So we're building right now a catalog of analytics where it's a taxonomy, whether it's used for internal or external purposes, it's in one single analytical catalog. So those are the use cases we're working on when you think about data as a strategic asset. When you say a taxonomy of data, can you elaborate on that? Sure. So uh, in our customer's world, that means we have a lot of analytics around our machines that combine together to form this idea that we call a digital twin. A digital twin is a virtual representation of a physical copy of the actual machines and it runs in our cloud. That means there's a lot of analytics around those machines, everything from heat rate to thermal models to vibrations to sensors that provide all of this data. And now cataloging all of these analytics by they could be cataloged n ways, right? You could, you could say these are all thermal analytics, these are all uh, vibration analytics, these are all uh, you know efficiency analytics, these are productivity analytics. But we can also classify them by machines, by different class and types of machines, by different source of fuel, by gas set of analytics around gas-fired power generation, set of analytics around wind renewable power generation, set of analytics around an entire wind farm, set of analytics around even our competitors' machines. So that's what I mean by taxonomy of connecting all of these things in a hierarchy. So do you need to then be the uh, data hub, so to speak, in order, to, in order for you to make use of this data and apply your data science techniques, do you then have to be aggregating data both from your machines as well as the entire plant? And where do you draw the line there? Because your business is developing, correct me if I'm wrong, but your business, at least historically, was developing the machines as opposed to being the the data aggregation point? Yeah, so our customers own the data, right? Uh, our customers have lots of machines across their environment. They have all of those machines generate data. And just to give you a sense of the, the size of data, a single gas turbine uh, blade can generate up to 45 gigabytes of data a day. That's a lot of data. And, uh, and also these devices are getting increasingly more connected. When they get more connected, you tend to collect more data from these machines. Uh, by 2020, we will have more than 7 billion devices across the entire electricity value chain. I'm not counting bulbs and uh, switches and end-user devices, just the electricity value chain of things that generate electrons to things that help you consume an electron at an endpoint. Now, all of these data belongs to, you know, in a power plant, the data is our customer's data, but they've been in silos for a long time. Uh, every machine had its own data store. None of them were connected. So we're now allowing our customers to collect all of this data into our cloud and get insight from them. So our customers own the data. So the, the line we draw is very simple. Our customers own the data. They give us right and access to the data for provide services and value. So we can apply the analytics, apply the machine learning, and actually give them advisory services on how best to operate these machines and what are they leaving on the table in terms of value. Can you give us a sense of how you go about structuring the relationship with the customer 
in terms of um, you know, how that value is expressed. So in other words, in the past, again, you sold a machine, you got paid for the machine, and now you are sharing in the, the outcome, so, which is pretty abstract. So, so can you make this more concrete for us? Sure, absolutely. So um, our customers, like, like you said, you know, uh, a machine is a CapEx purchase, um, and uh, they buy these machines over a long time. And there's lots of, uh, you know, these are big, uh, complex deals and there's financing involved and we help our customers in lots of creative ways. And then there are services that we provide in our business and the services are like a subscription, if you will. So they're already used to uh, engaging with us in what we call multi-year agreements uh, around warranty and maintenance and parts around these machines. And uh, in some ways they budget for that ahead of time. Um, but it's still a multi-year agreement. It's more like a subscription. And with the introduction of software, and they have been buying software from us, and now they're also buying subscription uh, to our applications. So those are straightforward type of deals. But when you talk about these kind of outcomes as a service, we actually create that as a subscription again, where we know the economic value we can generate for our customers. We work with them in the value creation, and the solutions architecture and put a proposal together on here's the total economic value of our offering. And here you can buy the software as a service and subscribe to it. You can buy our platform as a service, extend and customize and configure it, or you can buy a package that we call the outcomes of service, in which case it's still a subscription fee. It's no different than buying a software subscription. So, but it's a value that we deliver. And you know, we have uh, negotiations where we know that we can deliver the value and there's true ups and not. So where is your core competency now? Because of course, historically, your, your core was building these, these big pieces of hardware, these big machines. And now it's all about data aggregation and all of these things that you've just been discussing. So what are you? So, and uh, that's a great question. And see, I still think we are a, um, you know, GE is a uh, company of inventors, makers, scientists, designers, and uh, people who take a lot of pride in creating some of the most complex, uh, these machines are work of art. And if you're in the office, I'll show you that I have a turbine blade, a last stage bucket from our turbine blade. It's a beautiful piece of art, the machine, and people that take deep pride in creating these machines. And that's the heart of our business. But in addition, we will also become data obsessed. We're also a software company. Like I said, we're going to be having, we're going to be generating about $6 billion in digital and software revenue this year. Um, and by 2020, we've uh, stated our ambition to be a $15 billion software company. Uh, that makes us one of the top 10 software companies in the world. So our core competency is everything from machines, all the sensors in the machine. So I kind of de describe it as from machines to sensors to cloud. That's our core competency. And we will see a new breed of uh, talent emerge uh, where we think the future um, material science engineer is also a data scientist, right? The future thermal model engineer is also a data scientist. And the future hardware designer is also thinking about the software experience that that hardware has to provide. So we are in that early stage of creating this discipline of, that's why we call ourselves the digital industrial. It's not just a software company. We're not just an industrial company. 
we're creating a new breed of uh, core competency that is at the intersection of physical and digital. And I think that's where our differentiation is and that's where we're gonna win. And it's gonna be an interesting journey into that. We have about uh, 10 minutes or, or a little bit less left. What advice do you have for others, other, other people in business who are facing this type of changing environment? So what, have you, what lessons have you learned along the way as GE has changed so dramatically over the last number of years? So the first thing I would say is um, a journey like a digital transformation of a company needs to start at the top. And if you're getting started, make sure your CEO, your chairman, they're a believer in this journey. Um, and that believership only happens by a healthy obsession of the market and the customers and what you can do for them. And also a bit of paranoia about what the world will be because every industry, every business is getting reimagined with software. And you can extrapolate every one of those things in the industries that we're in. And some of the industries that we're in, like power, for example, is a digitally immature industry, meaning historically has been underinvested or unserved with IT. Uh, ERPs and CRM software is not going to make a utility run better. You need the new generation of operational intelligence. So you got to have a belief around that uh, right from the outset. So create believers. Focus first on creating believership is step one. Second, acknowledge that it requires new talent, which is very different. But it's also not about just new talent going and attacking the industry. You've got to bring in your existing people and put them together uh, in that journey. And third, it is hard. Change is always hard. And I say, uh, the, um, you know, be prepared to actually coach your people through that change. And I say almost every Friday, I give somebody a pep talk on why we need to do this. Uh, and the easiest way you can do that is look at the market. There's market truths. And our market opportunity is huge. Like I said, there is, our purpose is very simple uh, in our company, which is, it's about, uh, or GE Power is, is 1.3 billion people in the world that don't have access to power. And if all those people had access to power, imagine the world that we can create. Imagine economies that, uh, that we would create. Imagine new creativity we would unlock. That means that you've got to think at the bigger purpose. So have a purpose and get your employees motivated behind that purpose. It could be small. It doesn't have to be all the same big scale, but the purpose is important when you have a change and a transformation that you're driving. And more importantly, look at the positives in the market. Most of the challenges that people have in change and transformation is internal, not external. Because there's always market opportunities you can go. There's always customer outcomes you can go deliver. And those are the positives to get excited about. What about the timing of change? I'm sure there's, there are many people in companies who are looking at their business. They're seeing, yeah, there's changes that are coming down the pike, but doesn't really affect our operations yet. And we don't want to rock the boat because we've got this steady revenue stream. We don't want to screw that up. So what about the timing of all of this? Yeah. So I think that's a really good point is you got to understand um, in your markets, where is the tipping point, right? Uh, in our industry, we believe it's, it's uh, the right time. 
Um, and there's a confluence of factors in the industry. So you've got to understand the maturity model of the various industries that you're in and understand from customers. And interestingly, you find that the leaders in the industry are the first to move. For us, it's not been the small companies or the, uh, we've, we've had a lot of wins with small and medium companies, but we started small with simple projects and simple products, and that grew into bigger offerings with our customers. But understand that uh, timing in a market sometimes means going with the leaders first because they're looking for the next step up in productivity or next competitive advantage. So find those first few customers and test. And that will give you the sense of what is the maturity model, how fast do you have to go with your customers. So you're saying uh, the way to begin is you start with the customer. You don't make assumptions about the customer. Well, you have to make some assumptions, right? Yeah, you have to. And, and so there is, you know, your customers are also going through this journey, so you have an obligation to actually show them what is possible, the art of the possible, right? So, um, for example, we have a big uh, design center here in uh, San Ramon. It's all about design thinking. So we actually bring customers in, and we start with what are the problems they're trying to solve in a setting that's beyond just our machine. So take a power plant. What are the problems you're trying to solve? Come over to our design center, and let's work together. And the goal of that session is that we want to solve the customer problem. It may just well be that we won't sell them anything new. We just solve their problem, but it's still worthwhile to go through it because you will discover other opportunities and new questions to ask your customers, and that will give you insights about creating a product. So it's important to innovate from customer and market in, but not necessarily exactly do what the customers are asking for because you also have the responsibility to show the customers what is possible. And that happens in most of the sessions that we have with our customers. And when you apply design thinking and agile and fast works and lean methodology, you tend to come up with small, iterative, minimum viable products. And those minimum viable products turn into bigger offerings and value for the customers. We have really just a couple of minutes, but I think this is an important point. Recently, I spoke with a, a salesperson, an enterprise salesperson who works for large established company. And he mirrored what something you just said, which is sometimes you have to go to the customer and talk with them and you're not even trying to sell them anything. And this was, this was bizarre to him. This was very strange to him. So just elaborate a little bit on why this takes place. Why do you have to do that? Yeah. So um, I would say, I would use an example, like if our hardware and services uh, people, for example, who have great relationships with our customers have only talked to the head of power generation or the COO or the chief nuclear officer, they would primarily only believe that we can only sell something to the customer when it has higher heat rate, higher uh, you know, uh, efficiency or more energy production or fuel savings. Whereas when you talk to the CIO, when you talk to a, a step back and take a look at the entire customer's operations, they talk about, I want no unplanned downtime not just across your machines, but no unplanned downtime across my entire uh, operations. I want lower operating costs, not just for your machines, but lower operating costs across the entire power plant. Or I want productivity gains. That means when I connect my people to the machines and the business processes, I want to see productivity improve, but not just across your machines, the entire enterprise. 
those conversations you will not unlock if you're just doing the traditional sales calls because you are trained to sell a widget and that's what you're out there selling every day. And the shift that I talked about when we went to solution selling was trying to understand what are the biggest pain problems or pain points of the customers. And we said, what are the pain points across the entire enterprise? And those led to the conversations of, okay, we could actually help them understand this and solve this. And sometimes we may not sell a solution for that, but it'll unlock new opportunities and outcomes for us to go after. So the default is solving customer problems. That's the bottom line. It is. It is starting with customer outcomes. Great. Okay, well, this has been a very fast 45 minutes. We have been speaking with Ganesh Bell, who is the Chief Digital Officer of GE Power. Ganesh, again, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on the show. And everybody, look at the CXO Talk website. We have got one of the largest libraries of content, executive content on digital business and digital transformation anywhere. And next week on Wednesday, I am going to be moderating a panel at the Chief Digital Officer Summit in New York City, a panel of media exec executives talking about digital disruption. And so if you're there, please come up and say hello. Ganesh, thank you so much. Everybody who's been watching, thank you so much. And we'll see you again next week.